C.S. Lewis wrote a little article some years ago entitled Equality. And in that little article, he said, I'm absolutely in favor of democracy because we're all sinners. And the quote goes on, because we're all sinners, we need checks and balances. Democracy, however, is only medicine. It's not food. Ultimate reality is not democracy because you were made to be ruled. What do you think about that quote? Today, as we start talking about king and kingdom, C.S. Lewis is suggesting that all of humanity, that we were made by God to be ruled. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, and if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you will serve somebody. And you will bow the knee to somebody. Now you won't admit that that's what's going on, but C.S. Lewis goes on to say, human nature will be served. If it doesn't get food, it will gobble poison. You need a king. You need a king. And Jesus is that king. A king that won't steal from you. A king that's so unique, so different from every idea of what may come to your mind whenever you think about a king or a ruler. So as we begin this new series called King and Kingdom, today we want to talk about Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus is the King of the nations. And Jesus is your King. Well, why don't we get started here from the very beginning. And as we get started, I just want to say, wow, thank you, God, for all of the encouraging scriptures that we've been listening to already today in our worship service. We've taken a little bit different of an approach today and as well throughout this Advent and Christmas season where our worship service will be much more liturgical. And what that means is, you can simply go to our QR code. It should be just above us here on this uh, YouTube screen. And uh, you can see all parts of our worship. That means you can follow along in all the scripture verses, all the lyrics of the songs, and even prayers that we're going to be praying out loud together. And I'm wanting this weekly bulletin and liturgical uh, method here that will be posted on our website uh, to guide you throughout the entire week. So as you gather together, uh, either if, if it's just you and God gathering every day for your devotional time, or if it's you and your spouse, or you, your spouse, and your family, and as you gather together to light the Advent candle and candles uh, each day, let this liturgy, let this worship bulletin guide you throughout the week. It will serve as an amazing source of encouragement as you get into the scriptures together, as you discuss those scriptures, as you pray together, and as perhaps you even sing together. And just watch God grow your faith. So why don't we get into this first point here together today. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow, if you're a skeptic listening to this, or if you're a uh, 
new believer in Christ and you're listening to this, or if you're a seasoned Christian and you're listening to this, your natural response is to think, wow, what an audacious claim that Troy just made. That Jesus is King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Well, I'm so glad to say that it's not me that made that statement myself, but the Bible, the Christian Bible, the Holy Scriptures make that audacious, very clear claim that Jesus is this long-expected King that we all need and, and that is, is truly going to come into our world. And so this Advent season truly is a time where we look back in history and we celebrate that this longed-for Messiah truly came into history, the King of all kings. And Advent is also a season where we look forward to a time where this long-expected King, King Jesus, will return again to bring his kingdom in all of its fullness, to restore human flourishing, and to restore peace between us and one another and us and God. The Old Testament also referred to this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords in the Pentateuch. Yeah, the first five books of the Bible there in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. It says, For the Lord your God is God of all gods and Lord of all lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. There is none like your God. And then the psalmist also said in Psalm 136, verse 3, Give thanks to this Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you hear the uniqueness about this king and this Lord that's so drastically different than any other king, any other political leader, any other type Lord. And then the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says that they, that is they who resist and don't want anything to do with this king of kings, it says they will make war on this king. They will make war on the lamb, referring to Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. And the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. This is wonderful news for us as we enter into this Advent season. And wow, what a year of longing this has been. A year of pandemic, a year of utter chaos, globally, locally, internally, externally, every way imaginable. And yet there's hope because light, it was promised long ago that light would be coming into the world. Jesus, the Savior of the world. I loved how Lydia, I'm sorry, Lila began us began us in our worship gathering today, at the top of our worship service, when Lila read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. 
And scroll back up to that right now as you're looking at the worship liturgy. Go back up to that or turn to it in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. that says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In case you've ever wondered, okay, what is Christmas all about? Why the celebration? What is all the excitement about? Why are people continually singing all of these songs? Why did Jesus come? This passage answers it. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the writer of that verse says, sinners of whom I am the foremost. The writer Paul understood that he and all of humanity that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. We need a King. And he goes on in this passage to say, to the King of all ages, meaning His kingdom, His kingship, His reign, His rule, His authority will never end. There's not a a larger ruler that's coming. There's not a more qualified, competent King that's coming that we should be looking for. It's Jesus to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what hope we have. And notice the uniqueness here of Jesus. When you think about Jesus who came as a king and how he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. And so as a king, Jesus surrendered to God and to God's word. Wow. Think back at the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, where the Old Testament there is teaching Israel how a king is supposed to look and how a king is supposed to act. That a king is not supposed to be Uh, addicted to having more and more money or more and more power. And that even the king is to be under the authority of God's word and God's law. Wow. But even this king is to exercise and and to possess and have a character of humility. And so we see that exemplified all the more in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. It says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. But do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the hope of Advent is that whenever this king, Jesus, came, he was God. He was God's very presence with us to be with us wherever we go. And that this Jesus humbled himself. He placed himself under the authority of God's word. In fact, in the New Testament, in John chapter 1, John mentions that Jesus is the word. 
Jesus is the word. Jesus fulfills the word. Jesus fulfills the law by obeying it perfectly as a representative for us. And I loved how Lydia read earlier in our worship gathering today in the scripture readings from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Go back, scroll back up in your liturgy there and read that passage again where he says, comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Do you see that the message that this king is bringing is message of good news? That even his authority, his rule, his reign as king of all kings and lord of all lords is a message of comfort. It's a message of hope. It says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Then in that same passage there in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, go on up to a high mountain, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, fear not, say to the cities of Judea, of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Wow, and beautifully in the New Testament, we see Jesus fulfills that very promise that Isaiah is talking about. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Good Shepherd that will gather us, His sheep, and will lead us. Oh, how we need a king like this. Well, the second main point that we're here to celebrate today is that Jesus is king of the nations. Jesus' kingdom, when we start talking about Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is not ethnocentric. Right, the kingdom of God is not ethnocentric. That means there's not only one particular nation in mind when when we talk about God's kingdom. Now, yeah, in the beginning, uh, the Hebrew nation, the Israelites, they were indeed God's people. But the plan for the good news and for the people of God was for it not to be ethnocentric. It was to go to the nations. Jesus is truly king of the nations. And that God's kingdom is not geocentric. Uh, with only one geographical region in mind. And yes, of course, there was a geographical center, Israel, uh, where God's kingdom was beginning, and of course, where God's kingdom would be inaugurated when Jesus uh, entered into our humanity, uh, there in the city of David, there in Bethlehem, and in Jerusalem, and um, the ancient Near East there. However, Um, However, God's kingdom, uh, its main thrust was that it was not to be geocentric. 
It was to go to the nations. It was so that all peoples everywhere could get to know this king of the nations. And so that's the good news. As we read earlier today in our worship gathering from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God is promising to Abraham, he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, God has a plan when he's talking about his king, his promised Messiah that's going to come. And then onward, as we read earlier in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, um, God tells Abraham, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward. And your reward will be very great. And Abraham, like all of us, Abraham is having some doubts. And he talks back to God. And he said, Behold, God, you have given me no offspring." And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside and he told Abram, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to them, said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abram as righteousness. Jesus is king of the nations. And so when God brought Abram out to look at the stars and say, so will your descendants be, that was God gently foreshadowing that this Messiah would truly indeed come. This king of the nations would come. And that this kingdom would be established to all nations. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last point we're going to make today in in our celebration is Jesus is your king. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't really know if Jesus is my king. I want to commend Jesus to you. I want to recommend and urge you to make Jesus your king, a king unlike any other. In the book of Psalms, there's many different types of Psalms, and one very uh, deep, very deep type of Psalm is a Psalm called a Messianic Psalm. And that is a psalm that is pointing towards or referring to a Messiah, an anointed one, a king who's going to come. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus picks out a few of these psalms. Jesus knew the psalms. Jesus referred back to the Old Testament as he's teaching the first century audience because they would have known of the Old Testament. And so Jesus refers to some of those psalms as pointing to him that he would be the one to fulfill that psalm. And so Psalm 2, Psalm number 2, is a psalm that's known as a messianic psalm. As you read this psalm, wow, is it so deep. And yeah, there's an original audience meaning, and there's also a greater meaning there in Psalm 2, that it's pointing towards a future king that would come, a messiah 
an anointed one, a king of kings and a lord of lords. And so the context, original context of Psalm 2 is God is seen as establishing his king. God has a king in mind. None of the other kings would do. None of the other kings would rule as God truly intended. But God is intending for his king to be a perfect representative. So the context is that there is a coronation service going on in Psalm 2. There's an ascension of someone to that throne and uh, that throne of Israel. And so maybe it was written when David was uh, ascending to that throne. There was a coronation service. And so while that's true with the original audience, it also has a much deeper meaning that it is referring to Jesus' Messiahship, his lordship, his kingship, is that he would be the one that would come and fulfill this role, this title, Uh, in our lives and to the world. (laughs) Truly, Jesus alone is competent. So, uh, we have a true king. We have a true true king. Psalm 2, verses 4 through 9. If you go back and look at that. We have a true king. A king that is above all other kings. A king that is truly installed by God. And um, yet we hate that king. We have a true king, yet we we push back against that king. We we don't agree with God. We we, we sort of think that we know better. We maybe have a better candidate uh, for king than the king that God has chosen. And that's seen in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where it talks about that the nations of the earth are plotting they're plotting. There are hostile neighbors uh, in that original context. Hostile neighbors were going to be plotting against that king that God was establishing. They were seeking to overthrow that king and kingdom. And then lastly, we see there in Psalm 2, is that we need this king. We need this king. So, so we have a true king. We hate that true king. And yet we need this king. That's what Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12 talks about, is that we must get to know this king and serve this king and truly kiss this king as we adore this king. Here's some takeaway action steps as we're absorbing all of what Advent season and the Christmas season really means. Here's some action steps. For those of you that are, that are more action-oriented and uh, you, you're just needing a few action steps today, this week, but also through Advent season and the Christmas season, uh, let me give you some action steps. Because, because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and because Jesus is King of the nations, And because Jesus is your king, number one, obey him. Treat him as a king. And so to obey him means do whatever he says. Even if you don't like what he says. Even if you think you know better or you have a different way, obey him. 
is the first step. The second step is to trust Him. Treat Him like a king. That means accept whatever He brings into your life, even if you don't understand it. That's what it means to trust Him. Accept whatever He brings into your life. Lord, I trust You. King of my life, I trust You. I don't understand what You're doing right now, but oh, how I trust You. Number three, rely on Him. Don't say, well, I believe in Jesus, but yet you're getting all of your self-worth from your career. And what that really means is that your career is your king. You're getting your self-identity, your self-worth from your career or a, uh, a different relationship. Remember how C.S. Lewis, from the very beginning, that quote that we read there, mentioned that we will bow the knee to someone. We will have someone or something as king. Number four is expect great things from him as king. Treat him like king in prayer. Here's what that looks like in prayer whenever you treat Jesus like a king. And we're going to close with this quote from John Newton. Treat him like a king in prayer. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Let's treat King Jesus like a prayer right now. Let's treat King Jesus like a king right now as we pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray out loud with me um, this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's from Matthew 6, and it's printed right here in your liturgy. If you're following along, let's pray this out loud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.